I wonder, um, I wonder for you guys, have you ever taken one of those quizzes that are so prevalent online? I, I see them on Facebook all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, you can answer all these questions and things, and then they'll tell you your result, tell you, like, who you are. It's like, uh, what Disney character are you? You know, the, the important uh, things to ponder in life, right? Or maybe even, uh, what candy bar best represents you? You know, oh, let me drop everything and do that right now. Um, maybe, maybe you even do like some of the religious ones, like which Bible character are you? And so you, you do all, you know, answer all the questions and then um, you get your result and there's always that option that you can share it with the general public if you want to. And maybe sometimes you're like, oh yes, I'll share this result. And other times you're like, I ain't gonna share that one. That one's lost to history now. Uh, but there's all these quizzes that you can do. I, I, I think they're, they're kind of fun sometimes. Uh, but I, I want us to do a similar thing today with the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I want us to think, you know, to find out which character from this story that Jesus tells uh, best represents you and me. Okay? I think maybe this will be fun, but we'll see. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty well-known story. You know, even before this, you know, you've already heard it twice today. Um, you prob I probably could have grabbed anyone from the, the congregation today to come up and you could have recited the story in 30 seconds or something. Uh, but there's the, the man who is traveling and he gets attacked and robbed and beaten till he's half dead. He's lying in the ditch. And then there, there comes a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walking down the road. Sounds like the beginning of a bad joke, uh, but it's, it's not. And so you're, you're trying to think, well, which one, uh, which one of these am I? The priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? So let's have some fun with this one. I want you to ponder, I want you to be honest with yourself and your heart. Uh, are you the priest? Maybe. maybe you're thinking, oh yeah, I think maybe that best represents who I am. Well, if I'm the priest, I'm, it might be the Levite too. They do like the exact same thing in the story. So maybe, is it, am I breaking the rules? Can I pick two characters maybe? Um, what about, you know, if you're really feeling good about yourself today, maybe you want to say, well, I'm the Samaritan. Maybe, I'm, maybe at least I'm supposed to be the Samaritan. I don't know. So what, what do you guys think? Any, anyone uh, want to vote for who, who identifies as the priest in the story? Oh, so you've never done anything wrong, huh? Is that what it, no. <laughs> Priest, the Levite. Anyone want to say that you're the Samaritan? No? You guys are not, okay, there we got, we got a, okay, we got a um, couple hands. Why are, why are not, why are most people not participating? Are you on to me, to what I'm trying to do here? Okay, the correct answer is, tell me then, if you, that was, scattered mumbling. Um, say, somebody say it loud. The Samaritan. Okay, well, you're wrong. Um, the, the correct answer is you are, yeah, this, none of the above. You are the man lying half dead in the ditch. Okay? Happy conversation today, yeah. You are the man lying half dead in the ditch. Now, some of you, I think, were probably on to me. You're like, oh, yes. I think I know where he's going with this one. But if, if maybe it was a curveball, though, for some of us, we're going to talk. This is kind of a complex story. Jesus is, is really, he's got two really big things that he wants to get across to us 
in this story, and we're going to take some time here, and we're going to unpack it. Uh, but the correct answer is that we are the man lying half dead in this. That, that, that's the reality for all of us, and it's also the reality for the lawyer who is talking to Jesus. You know, it's their conversation that spurs on this story that Jesus tells that's very famous and that we are still talking about 2,000 years later. And so the lawyer asks this question first to, to kick things off. He says, I'm gonna, try to, I'm gonna try to say this as neutrally as possible first. He says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, that's not really how I heard the question though. My alarm bells started going off when I heard this one and I put the stress on what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You can already see he's, he's approaching this all the wrong way, right? I know it's easy, it's easy for somebody like me after the fact to, to say, well, this is what he should have said, uh, but I'm still gonna say it anyway. What he should be asking is how is it that someone like me can be saved? Jesus, how is it possible that someone like me could be saved? That's not what he asks, but you know, for us to ask the right questions of Jesus, we have to rightly understand which person in the story we actually are, that we are half dead in the ditch, and we have to realize how we got there. How did we end up there? Well, turns out it's actually not that difficult uh, to comprehend, which leads me to the portion of today's sermon that I affectionately call Four Simple Steps to End Up Half Dead in the Ditch. Okay, so get your pencils out so that you can uh, see how to do this. Step one is very simple. Try to justify yourself. Okay, this is how the lawyer starts to get off on the wrong foot. This is the aim of that first question. And it's common for us to wonder, you know, how am I doing to the end of being saved or something? You know, um, what is my heavenly resume looking like right now? Do I need to do something to beef it up, you know, to improve that? Because in most things in life, we actually do. You know, you do some good things and you receive some benefits. So it would make sense, right? This, we're longing for eternal salvation, I probably have to contribute at least something to it. So, you know, Jesus, how can I inherit that? You know, I'm trying to justify myself. And so Jesus points this man to the law. Jesus points him to the law. He says, well, you know, the law is the way. You know, how do you read the law? And the guy uh, recites it perfectly. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, there you go, buddy. Uh, if, if you do all of that, it leads to life. If you do, and Jesus is, you know, he's, technically this is true, okay? If you keep the law perfectly, it leads to life. So you're welcome to try that path, but let me, let me do another quiz with you really quick, okay? Have you always loved God with all of your heart? 
and your mind and your soul and your strength. It's like, can you just stop with the nouns there, Jesus? Okay, okay think about that one. D- don't answer it, please. Um, and have you also always loved your neighbor as yourself? I don't know, I love myself quite a bit. <laughs> so that's a, that's a high ask, right? If you answer yes to these two questions, hooray, you can just leave the service. You know, why, why are you here, right? But if you answered no, <laughs> stay seated. Okay, I don't see anybody getting up. Yeah, if you answered no, yeah, you're, heading, you're heading to death. The law does lead to life if you keep it perfectly, but not if you don't. So step number two, how we end up half dead in the ditch. We fail to keep the high demands of the law. The lawyer hadn't done these things. You and I haven't done these things. The law is a very high bar. We cannot get over it. So what is usually our game plan when there, there is something that is too hard for us to accomplish? Do we usually think that the problem is with me? No. The problem is with the law, right? The problem is with the rules. You know, if I'm playing a game or something and I'm not doing well, can we bend the rules? There's no way the rule manual really expects me to do this, right? There's no way God would reasonably expect me to do all of this stuff. So I'm gonna change the rules so that I can do better. This is usually our approach, you know? So step number three then is we lower the demands of the law. I can't dunk on a 10-foot basketball hoop, but if I lower that to eight feet, oh man, I could enter the dunk contest. Pretty good, you know? I, I, still, I still mess up sometimes. And that's the thing. This is, this is the... This is the aim of the question that the lawyer asks then, right? Well, who is my neighbor? You see what he's trying to do here, right? He's looking for a loophole. He's looking to more narrowly define the list of people that I am supposed to love. Because that'd be a lot easier, right? If, if I could be like, well, it's only, only the people that are nice to me, only the people that you know, have helped me in the past, people that I think the same way as, if I only have to love those people, I could maybe do that most of the time. So trying to more narrowly define who his neighbor is, you know, then maybe I'll have a chance. So we lower the demands of the law, and then the fourth step is we still fall short. Even when we've lowered the expectations, we still can't do it. And the problem is because we are sinful through and through. It's because of that sinful nature that we have, we think the wrong things all the time, and we say the wrong things, and we do the wrong things. It's a complete disaster. We cannot keep God's law, not even close. And so no matter how far we lower the bar, we're still going to get tripped up by it. We're going to fall into the ditch, and we will have no way of getting ourselves out. 
And that, my friends, is the, are the four simple steps of how we ended up in the ditch. And so I want us now to stay in the ditch here. This is the perspective from which we need to uh, view the story here of the Good Samaritan playing out. Our viewpoint is from the ditch. It's not the most comfortable, but don't worry. Uh, someone is coming along to pull us out. Now, I think that, uh, I don't know, if you're like me, you probably don't always pay real close attention to like the titles or the names of things, especially ones that you've heard again and again. You're like, oh, I wonder what the origin of that name is. You know, the parable of the Good Samaritan, you hear that all the time. Um, and until, until recently, I was thinking about it more. I think it's kind of a funny title, really. The parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm sure it was named by Jews who don't like the Samaritans, and they were thinking, <laughs> what a crazy, unrealistic story that Jesus told. Hey, remember that one time when a Samaritan did something good? Well, why don't we name the story the parable of the good Samaritan, right? What an outlier. Ah, you know, and they're kind of laughing about it, you know. So we still call it that, though, the parable of the good Samaritan. Because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They hated each other. It would be too long and too boring to explain why exactly, but they hated each other. If you remember a couple weeks ago, Pastor Josh was preaching, and he's telling a story about how a Samaritan village rejected Jesus. And Jesus' disciples, they, their um, idea was, hey, Jesus, should we call down fire and burn that village to the ground? <laughs> Sounded reasonable to them, apparently. That's how much they hated the Samaritans, okay? So that kind of sets the stage now for this story and how wild it is that Jesus would tell this story about a Samaritan who would help a Jew. Because we have to assume that the man in the ditch, um, well, it, other than just being us, it is also a Jewish man. He's lying there half dead. He's unconscious. And I think that it is a blessing for him that he was unconscious because had he been awake and aware when a Samaritan was coming to help him, he probably would have spit in his face. I, I believe that. I think he would have. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor, there's no way he would do something like that. That would be illogical. That would be insane to reject an offer of help, even from someone that you hate. I would say, I don't know, I think it's pretty realistic. Because if we go back to us, we actually do that. Our built-in natural response is to do that. Because remember how we ended up in the ditch? It's by stubbornly and pridefully trying to justify ourselves, not wanting any help from the outside. We're trying to go it alone. And so it's that sinful nature that trips us up, puts us into the ditch, and actually renders us as enemies of God. By our sin, we look at God the way that the Jews looked at the Samaritans. And so against all logic, against all sanity, when a person is dead set on saving themselves, they will say, I'd rather die than receive help from you. This is what we say to God according to our sinful nature. Doesn't make any sense, but it's still what we say. 
So which character is Jesus? There's only one left, right? Jesus is the good Samaritan in this story. And Jesus comes along, and it's a good thing for us that we are unconscious. Because otherwise, we would have refused the help of Jesus. But it shows just how passive and powerless we are when it comes to being saved. It is only by the mercy of God that we are pulled out of the ditch. Because Jesus sees us lying half dead in the ditch, and he says, he starts off with the same words that we would say. He says, I'd rather die than see my child be lost, than see my child end up totally dead. And so Jesus has mercy upon us. It is the greatest act of mercy that the world has ever seen that Jesus himself would lay down his own life, that he would sacrifice himself in order to pull us, to raise us up out of the ditches and to give to us the riches of his mercy. That's what Jesus does. The mercy of God for you and for me. And it's only once we grasp this main teaching of this story that we can actually receive the second, probably more famous, teaching that Jesus has for us here. We have to comprehend the riches of God's mercy that we have received before we can share the riches of that mercy with our neighbor. So when Jesus says, go and do likewise, that, that's his uh, mic drop moment at the end of the parable, right? That's the one that you know, says it to the Lord, go and do likewise. I think what he's really saying is, he's saying, go and love and show mercy like me. As you have received from me, so also do unto your neighbor. And God's mercy, I mean, it transforms our life. And so now, out of, it, it is this gratitude, this thankful response that we get to show mercy and love and kindness to those around us. Even those who might be kind of difficult to love, those who might be, you know, whom we might be in a Jew and Samaritan kind of relationship with. You know, if the Samaritan can help the Jew who hated him, and if God can help us who by our nature hated him, then it follows that we can help even our neighbors who we have the least in common with or who maybe even have demonstrated hatred toward us. Jesus' love, this is the exemplary, life-changing love that Jesus has, it is given freely, without question or qualification. Without question or qualification. You'll notice that Jesus does not kneel down next to us when we're in the ditch and say, you know, can you show me your resume? Can you prove to me that you are worthy of my mercy here today? What have you done for me lately? 
doesn't say any of that. Freely, without question or qualification, he shows mercy. And so, uh, so we, following in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus, we will time and again see our neighbors lying in the ditch and the wrong approach would be for us to go up and, you know, say, uh, well, what did you do to get yourself in the ditch, you know? Um, well, what, ha what have you done for me? Have you been nice to me? Uh, how did you vote in the last election? You know? Quickly, tell me your stance on abortion or gun control. No, this is the love of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus shown freely without question or qualification. And it is a privilege for us to be like Jesus in this way, to extend that same mercy that he's given to us, to other people. Now, have you ever wondered what happens at the end of this parable? It kind of leave us hanging a little bit, right? What happened to the man who was in the ditch, who was taken, you know, when, when, he, when he rose from his bed, when he was well again. What happened with him? Well, on one hand, I have no idea. But on the other hand, I'm gonna tell you exactly what he did. Because I know that he rose to that new life of mercy. And he extended the mercy of God because of the mercy that he himself had received. This is... Uh, this is not only Jesus' story, but this is our story as well. Jesus doesn't just tell the story, he actually lives out the story. And my prayer is that for, for each one of us, that we will not just hear the story today, but that we will take it to heart, we will receive it, and we will also rise up again and again out of the ditch to live a life sharing the riches of Christ's mercy to our neighbors. Please pray with me. Almighty God, you have shown us incomparable mercy. You found us in the ditch. And you had mercy upon us. You showed us compassion. You raised us up. We pray that you will give us joy in the opportunities to show love and mercy to our neighbors in the name of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.